I was chatting to a friend of mine uh, on the phone this week, a, um, a guy who's the pastor of a church in Sydney, and among other things, he was telling me about a, a bloke uh, who has sort of been coming along t- to their church where he serves. Um, this bloke, uh, now in his 50s, he'd been thinking about rocking up to church for something like 20 years. Uh, he finally sort of made that, that big step. He, he turned up. And he's kept on turning up. And as a part of sort of rocking up to church, it dawned on this bloke that he should be reading his Bible. Uh, so he's getting stuck in from Genesis to, to Revelation, from beginning uh, to end. Uh, after hearing a sermon on, on Acts chapter 2, where the early church was sort of caring for one another uh, really well, this bloke, he said to my friend, well, I've got a really nice holiday house. Maybe the church could use that. Uh, for free. This bloke, he's wanting to start reflecting on his own story and understand what it means to be on this, on this Jesus road now. It's just some bloke responding to God's word, uh, God's call on his life with a, with a joyous obedience. It's pretty ordinary, but, but I, I think it's beautiful. You see, faith isn't a feeling or an intellectual concept so much as a a relational confidence that drives us into action. That's how it is, isn't it? When we put our faith in someone, we put a relational confidence in them. We trust them. And it's seen in what we do. Faith in God will always be shown in how we live. I wonder what that looks like between you and God at the moment. Are you trusting him with your past, with your present and with your future? Do you see that you can? Do you see that the God of the Bible is completely trustworthy? Or are there things you just will not surrender to him? Uh, as we've been reading this first and foundational uh, book of the Bible, Genesis, we've already seen something of this bloke Abraham's faith journey. In chapter 12, the Lord called him to leave his home and to go to a land that he had not yet seen. Uh, it's a big call, isn't it? To, to leave everything that you actually know to, to go to a place you haven't yet seen and the Lord gave those promises to Abraham in chapter 12 the promise of land and people and blessing that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him and as we read our Bibles we track the storyline and we can see that these promises to Abraham are yes fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ but Abram left he went as the Lord had called but Abraham, or Abram at this point, and his wife Sarai, their names aren't changed at this point in the narrative, they don't have any kids. And you imagine the difficulty of this bloke trusting in the Lord's promise. How can he become a great nation when he doesn't even have a single kid? And there's this beautiful scene in chapter 15 where Abram is worried, probably worried about all kinds of different things. And the Lord says in verse 1, Do not be afraid, I'm your shield. 
your very great reward. Now, Abram's still struggling, and the Lord takes him outside and, and says, look at, the, look at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And the Lord says, so shall your offspring be. They're old and they don't even have a kid at this point. And what's so surprising is the very next verse, we read, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. You keep reading chapter 15 at the end, a covenant is established, the animals are cut up and put in, the Lord walks between the two. If I don't Come through on the promise, let it be to me as it is with these animals, he's saying. The, the promises, as the narrative progresses, are, are, are reiterated, are d- developed, are, are further established. But there's not even a kid at this point. In fact, it's 25 years of waiting for the kid to arrive. And there's some serious ups and downs along the way. Finally, chapter 21, Isaac is is born, the child of the promise, miraculously born from a dead womb, (laughs) from a G, G, I can't even say the word right now for some reason, a dead womb. It's a miracle. And and there's there's some mess around this. Uh, You may remember there there actually was another kid. There was Ishmael, Abraham's son to Hagar, Sarah's servant, Woman? Well, Ishmael, at this point, he's shuffled off. Ishmael was competing for the job of firstborn son, uh, competing against Isaac, and Sarah insisted, he's not getting any inheritance. Isaac will get the lot. And he's shuffled off. The Lord cares for him. But all of this means that all of Abraham's hopes for the future are pinned on Isaac, which fits with what God has already promised. Isaac is the child of the promise. And when we get to this chapter 22, maybe Isaac is a teenager, probably a bit younger, at least he can carry some timber. And here we read in verse 1 that God tests Abraham. As, um, as Walter Mobley, an Old Testament guy, observes, along with some Jewish theologians, he says, at the beginning, Abraham is commanded to relinquish, to surrender his past, to leave all that he knew and go. At the end, here in chapter 22, Abraham is commanded to relinquish, to surrender his future, Isaac. You see this in in verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. It's some test, isn't it? Not the kind of thing that we would ever be asked of today, by the way. We're looking at a particular time in salvation history. So if you think God wants you to go and sacrifice your child, don't do it. Uh, An American, a guy in Utah actually did that. So, you know, it's not good. 
Actually, a little later in the Bible, in Jeremiah, uh, God forbids child sacrifice. Perhaps, though, here is a helpful reminder that when it comes to relationship with God, it's priority singular. He comes first above all else. His call on our life surpasses our children or, or any other thing. Yes, to be a Christian, God takes priority over your children, over your job, over your comfortable lifestyle, or whatever other thing. Now, as readers, we're told this is a test, but Abraham doesn't know this. I love this. Eugene Peterson says, untested faith does not qualify as faith. Untested faith, having the appearance of faith, the feeling of faith, the language of faith, may only be wishful thinking. You see, faith isn't a feeling or an intellectual concept so much as a relational confidence that drives us into action. To obedience, our faith in God necessarily works itself out in everyday life. While Abraham was counted righteous, when he believed the Lord's promise back in chapter 15, it's here in chapter 22 that that faith is worked out in everyday life. And it's similar for us, isn't it? You know, it's one thing to say, yes, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Saviour, that, that he died the death that I deserve, that he, that he rose to life. Genuine faith will be shown in day-to-day -day obedience. Have you noticed how God rarely tests our faith in the, you know, the perfect lab conditions? We don't usually get time to study or, or get some advanced notice, but God tests our faith in the mess of this life. He calls us to live out our faith in the mess between God's word and God's silence, between our sin and God's grace, between joy and tragedy, between making love and making up after a fight we've had with our husband or wife, between cuddling babies and parenting feisty teenagers, between the stress of work and, and getting to a midweek small group, between prayer and, and worrying about next week's medical test. The life of faith is not straightforward. It's lived in the context of the mess of life. And we see this, what's happening with Abraham here. Early the next morning, he loads his donkey, takes a couple of his servants, his son Isaac, and when he's gathered enough wood for the burnt offering, he heads off. We're not told how he's feeling about all of this, but he obeys. I reckon the way the narrative keeps grinding down, keeps slowing, really captures the emotion, though. It's full on. From verse 4 and 5, we read, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. There it is, in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. 
we will worship and then we will come back to you. In verse 5, it seems that Abraham has some sense that he'll return not alone but with the boy. Uh, we, we will come back to you, he says. Derek Kidner comments, Abraham's response combines complete certainty about God with complete openness as to the detail. In other words, he is sure of God, but he's not so sure of God's method. And when we come to the New Testament, we read famously in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 to 19, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him that it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. It's an eerie scene that the text keeps slowing. Verse 6 to 8, Isaac has the wood on his back. Abraham has the fire and the, the knife in his hands. And, and as they're going, the boy speaks up. The fire and the wood are here, Dad, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? In verse 8, we read, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And we know, don't we, you know, we've read it. As readers, we know the Lord does provide. Just as it's crunch time, the, the angel of the Lord calls out, Abraham, Abraham, verse 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. It's huge, isn't it? Abraham passes the test. He's prepared to sacrifice what? Everything. To follow God, he completely trusts God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The life of faith, walking on the Jesus road, is a sacrificial life. And have you noticed a sacrificial life, the means... And the only means by which our faith matures is that a sacrificial life. We accumulate lots of baggage in life, don't we? We might get some qualification. You know, you leave school and you've got to get qualified in something or another. You get a job, perhaps. The job might turn into some sort of career. Maybe you have a business. I don't know. We start to get this reputation. Uh, we buy a house and we fill that house with, with things. We buy a new car. We might even upgrade the house to a bigger one or get an investment property or, or something. We, we acquire a lifestyle and we're all about the lifestyle here in Queensland. We don't just accumulate baggage though. We get, a, we get attached to it, attracted to it. 
We don't give it up so easily. But you see, faith is not some intellectual concept so much as a relational confidence that drives us to obedience. Our faith in God necessarily works itself out in everyday life. Everyday life with the stresses and the temptations, with the exhaustion and the the monotony. Are you prepared to sacrifice any and all for Jesus? Yes? Well, that's what it is to be a Christian. To walk on the Jesus road. And it's seen in the everyday. Church attendance. Bible reading habits. Holiday house generosity. And so many other things. But just notice with me, even as we reflect on this remarkable act of obedience from from Abraham, and it raises lots of other questions, of course, but the place that all of this happened, it's not called Abraham obeys. But verse 14, just look there in in your Bible. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And on this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham's faith here, it's based on the Lord's provision. The Lord who provided the the child of the promise from a dead womb. The Lord he could trust with his own son, even though he couldn't understand the details. It was the region of Moriah that the Lord provided that ram as a substitute for Isaac. And we learn from the book of Chronicles that Moriah is the place where King Solomon built the temple. The temple, Jerusalem, where the sacrificial system was established, where lamb after lamb after lamb was sacrificed as a reminder of our great sin problem. Something that you cannot ignore when you read Genesis. Our need for a substitute. Our need for someone to step in and take the penalty that we deserve. Jerusalem, the hill, the mountain where the Lord Jesus himself, the Lamb of God, paid that once for all sacrifice. The Lord provides. On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. In Romans 8 verse 32, the the Apostle Paul, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What God kept Abraham from doing He himself did. And can I just say that it's my prayer for for each one of you that for each one of us and many more that we will see that God is entirely trustworthy even when we're not so sure of the details. 
that we might trust the Lord who provides, trusting him with our past, with our present and our future, and that our relational confidence in him will drive us to obedience. How about we pray about that now? Uh, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the book of Genesis, this first and foundational book in the Bible. Lord, we thank you for the way that it, it sets up what is to come in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the way Genesis is so clear about sin. And Lord, we're sorry for failing to honour you. Lord, we're sorry for not having the courage to walk in obedience to your good word. And we thank you that because of this, you provide. Uh, You provide the sacrificial lamb. You provide in the Lord Jesus a substitute, one who would die in our place that we would be forgiven. And Lord, as we look to him, as we trust in your promises that in Jesus we are forgiven and adopted, that in him you give us new life, we pray, Lord, that you would help us see how trustworthy you are. And we pray, Lord, that our faith would not be just feeling or intellectual, that it wouldn't be fake, but that it would be seen in how we live. Lord, give us the guts to trust you. Help us be courageous. And help us know that living for you and enjoying you, well, that's the safest place to be. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.